0: Listen to the Drew Marshall Show before? George Bush is the Antichrist. Honest to you God. Think, you think, think George really Bush so, is yes. the Antichrist? Yes. Okay, so George Bush is the Antichrist because he's a nice guy.
1: He's a nice guy. He's fooling people. He's a trickster.
0: Would you vote for George W. Bush? Absolutely. Why? He's the Antichrist.
1: <laughs> I think the guy needs to read his Bible.
0: <laughs> Would you vote for George W. Bush?
1: Absolutely. I hope he's not the Antichrist because I'm going to vote for the wrong guy.
0: Yeah, I hate when that happens.
1: The Drew Marshall Show, right here on Joy 1250.
0: You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talkbacks program. Well, Anne Graham Lotz, folks, is our next guest on the show, founder of Angel Ministries. And uh, this woman has passionately proclaimed God's word to people around the world for over 30 years. Her gripping narratives and heart-touching teaching have inspired listeners in arenas and prison cells, stadiums and Bible studies, sanctuaries and seminaries, the United Nations and Amsterdam, 2000, the daughter of Dr. and Mrs. Billy Graham, and launched Just Give Me Jesus in the year 2000. And uh, boy, this woman is an award-winning, best-selling author. Her nine books include her signature book, Just Give Me Jesus, and her most recent release, I Saw the Lord. And uh she joins us today on the Drew Marshall Show. It is such an honor to speak with you, not just because you're the daughter of, okay? I would just want to get that clear, Anne. Not just because you're the daughter of, but because in doing the research that I've done on you in the last week, uh you've actually you've actually had an impact on me. And it's pretty rare. <laughs> because I'm just a meathead, especially spiritually, I'm just clueless. you got something. I don't know what it is, but you got something.
1: Oh, Drew, you know what I've got? I've got Jesus. <laughs>
0: well, that works for me.
1: <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it works for me, too. And he makes all the difference. And it's one thing to just, you know, encourage somebody or inspire somebody, but um, my aim is really to bring people into a fresh encounter with Jesus that their lives might be changed, you know, that it might make a permanent difference in their lives.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, let me see if I get this straight. I've heard you say this a few times, so I won't make you rattle it off again, but apparently you see yourself more as a spiritual pediatrician than an obstetrician.
1: (laughs) That's right. I feel like my father and my brother help people be born again into God's family, and uh, God's called me to help those people grow up.
0: You know, I had no idea you've been doing this for over 30 years.
1: Uh, You know, it makes me feel old, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Time goes by so quickly. And I started ministry outside my home 30 years ago, just teaching a Bible class in my city. It just uh, immediately, the the first year I started, we went up to 500 women. And, um, And then after 12 years of teaching that every week, God called me to hit the road, and I turned my class over to somebody else. So the class actually has multiplied since I left, and they're now nine huge classes in our city, um, and then that freed me up to accept invitations around the world, and then, like you just said, in the year 2000, I started Just Give Me Jesus, which is um, our arena event for women, a time of refreshing for women.
0: Hmm. Well, I hope you still don't throw up before you go out and talk, do you?
1: <laughs> you know, I still get nervous, and uh, you, you know, you're know, you referring to the fact that when I first began to teach my Bible class, I was so terrified I'd go throw up before I stood in the, <laughs> the lectern and... Um, And I've gotten over that kind of um, fear with a physical reaction, but I still get um, nervous. And I think it's because when you handle God's Word and you stand in a pulpit or on a platform in front of people who really are expecting me to bring a word from God, it's an awesome responsibility. Well, yeah.
0: To me, it just proves that you take it seriously, this uh, this gift that you have.
1: Well, I take it absolutely seriously. And I think it is a healthy thing because... I get on a platform on my knees and my spirit, you know, so that I'm totally dependent on God, because if anybody's blessed or if they hear God speaking to them, that's the work of God's spirit. It's not something I can do in myself.
0: Last week I was talking to Tony Orlando, and he says he has the same feelings. Even after all these years of getting up on stage and entertaining people, he still gets really nervous, and I think that just, again, is akin to his professionalism. So, good for you.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things that's been interesting for me, after 30 years, um, you would think you would grow more in self-confidence. And I feel that I've grown less self-confident because now I know by experience I can't do what I do, (laughs) but I know what God can do in and through me if I'll just let him. So if Hmm. I yield my life to him, then God's Spirit just takes over, and he's the one that works in and through me, and that's the difference that perhaps you've sensed this last week, and that's the difference that people in the arena will experience when we're there on the 29th and the 30th. Um,
0: and does Larry King have a fascination with the Grahams or with Jesus? Because he seems to get a lot of Jesus guests on there, and you especially the Grahams.
1: Well, he does. I think he, I think he genuinely appreciates my father, and I think he has enormous respect and would probably call Billy Graham his friend. Um, As for the rest of us, you know, you'd have to ask him. But I'm, I'm like you. I've seen a lot of people on his show that have authentic testimonies of a relationship with Jesus. And... And he asks good questions. He always, always, always asks the same question of every person of faith, and he says, is Jesus the only way yeah, to heaven? Yeah,
0: I've noticed that. And, every single person is uh, yes, And way.
1: I've seen people squirm under that. But if you come right out and <laughs> say you know, the truth that yeah. Jesus said he's the only way, then I think Larry appreciates it, although he doesn't accept it. you know. But he appreciates the honesty.
0: I saw Joel Olstein squirm big time, and I saw your dad say one of the best answers I've ever heard. And yet he was criticized for this because I guess people wanted him to lay down the hellfire brimstone mm-hmm answer, but but your dad said something along the lines of, uh, all I know is, without Jesus, there is no guarantee.
1: That, that's right. And also, if, if there had been any other way, God would have found it. Exactly. You know, Jesus, he would never have sent his son to the cross if there had been any other way for us to be forgiven of our sin and have eternal life and go to heaven when we die. Mm.
0: Now, your parents are in your 80s. Uh, what's it, and what's it like watching your parents break down physically?
1: Um, probably half of your listeners, I don't know what your listening audience is, but I bet you there are a lot of people out there who know, <laughs> and it's hard, and especially hard when your parents have so much on the inside. You know, my parents are full of life. They have, uh, they're have they extremely intelligent. They're aware of what's happening in the world. They have such a love for people and a heart to make a difference, um, very interested in current events, and then to see what's on the inside being hampered and hindered by what's on the outside you know so that my father right now i was just up there actually just got back night before last and my father's just getting more and more deaf he, he just absolutely cannot hear even with a hearing aid in both ears and i, I think part of the problem with me is that my tone of voice he, he can't hear my tone of voice he can hear my brother's better than he can hear me and and that's hard i feel cut off from my daddy because i can yell something three times, you know, in his face and finally he gets it, but there's something lost after the third time you're yelling.
0: You know? Yeah, oh yeah. And
1: my mother is not doing well right now. She's bedridden and um and not doing well at all. So just for those who uh think to pray for Ruth Graham, I would really appreciate their prayers for my mother.
0: You know, it is <sighs> Yeah, trying to compose here a little bit because uh I I am amazed at the love affair people have with with your parents no. and they've never met yeah. them they've never met them but your parents are loved mm-hmm. intensely by millions
1: and you know something drew if they met my parents personally and if they could sit down and have a conversation with them they would love them even more because my parents are the real thing and they are precious and with all of their physical problems right now and they're it's just so hard and and almost humiliating that uh, people have to do everything for them you know and and my parents are carrying it off with such grace and sweetness and i was watching my daddy the other night just say goodbye uh, good night to my mother and just holding her hand and kissing her and looking so tenderly at her and she has a hard time seeing she has macular degeneration so he gets real close to her you know and and they just gaze at each other and it's so precious there is such a genuine um, love for each other in their hearts, and a love for Jesus, and a love for His people—they're—they're they're real. They're very easy to be around, very authentic. And so, you know, it's one time I can just tell people: if they love Billy and Ruth Graham, then their love is not misplaced. They would not be disappointed if they met them personally.
0: Okay. Well, I was trying to recover emotionally. You just messed (laughs) me up even more. Thanks for that.
1: Well, and I just, you know, I say that I just encourage people to pray for them. I think that's why they're doing so well. My mother is 86. My daddy turns 88 this year. And I think one reason they've done so well is because people all over the world have prayed for them. So when we get to heaven, we'll find out the difference that's made. But until then, just uh, please pray for them.
0: Thank you. Thanks for that. All right. Well, and your life... Seven or eight was when you first surrendered your life to Christ, is that That's right? right? and You're... I was
1: watching a movie uh, on Se- TV. Cecil B. DeMilne. That's right, uh, on The uh, King of Kings. It was one they played every Easter, and it was just a portrayal of the life and death of Jesus. Uh, it would be the passion of the Christ in its day. Yeah. And, uh, and the crucifixion scene just cut me to the quick as a little girl, and I knew that it, he was dying for my sin, and I told him I was sorry, and I asked him to forgive me and come into my heart. And I believe as a little girl, I was born again into God's family.
0: You know, if I had the cognitive processing abilities that I have now, that I had when I was a young young boy watching that very same movie, and now that I've thought about this a little bit more, I didn't think about this as much until I read that this was your moment. I think that might have been mine, because I remember the King of Kings. I remember breaking down crying.
1: And you know, it wasn't, if I remember right, it's not even a talking film. It It had, like, subtitles or whatever you call it, and black and white... But it was powerful, mm. and or at least it was in my life. And I, it's interesting. I've talked to other people because I, I say that publicly. Other people have come to me and said that it had a powerful impact on them. Oh, yeah. So that's when, you know, Mel Gibson came out with his Passion of the Christ. I just really prayed, regardless of what you say and all the critics and whatever, oh, yeah, yeah. that the story itself is gripping and powerful, yeah. and lives can be changed.
0: Boy, that one messed me up big time too. I couldn't after I, I was a pre-screening for for you know uh, spiritual leaders and Jesus people and yeah. and pastors and stuff in the area, and so we went and saw this thing. And the lights came up, and I was a mess. Like, and I couldn't leave the church for about a half an hour afterwards. My wife kept making trips to the bathroom to get toilet paper for me. Uh, did, did what kind of impact did the Passion have on you?
1: You know, I didn't react like that because I think I knew it was a movie. Plus, I've taught that you know I've taught those passages in depth and. Um, and honestly, I felt like, uh, and I may be wrong, but I think what Jesus went through was actually worse than what that film that showed. Isaiah said he was marred more than any man. And and what I came away thinking was, did he have to shed a drop of blood for every sin in my life? You know, it was just, um, and I think it just made me so grateful for his willingness to be obedient even to death on the cross and go the distance for me. So I... Uh, uh, and actually when I come to Toronto uh, at the Air Canada Center on Friday night the message I give covers the same time frame that Mel Gibson's film did and the one thing um, with Mel Gibson's film I was in um, Norway right after that was released excuse me in Denmark right after that was released and the first person out of the theater they interviewed and the guy looked at the camera and he said somebody has to tell me what this means you know. and, I, and so the film was powerful and wow. I loved it in Aramaic but it you didn't. You had no idea what it meant unless you had some sort of background in, in the Bible. And so on, if somebody's curious or somebody just wants to know exactly what all that means, on Friday night my message begins with the Garden of Gethsemane and then we end with the actual death of Jesus. But I'll tell you exactly what it means in your life today right now.
0: Tremendous. Now, this is Friday night, September 29th, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Air Canada Center, and then Saturday, September 30th, from 8.30 to 5.
1: And you don't, no tickets. You just come. There is no tickets. You don't tickets. have to get a ticket. You just walk in the door. The doors will be wide open. Anybody can come.
0: Now, come on. I can't, let's not kid ourselves here. Free. You got They've got to be doing a love offering or something. Uh, you know, we'll you, you, you have offering. expenses. We
1: will take up an offering on Saturday, and then we also will sell uh, my, my books and tapes and things at the at my table. All of those proceeds go back into paying oh, off the event. Good. But there are many people already, Drew, in Toronto who have um, come through very generously to help pay for this. and. And so there are donors in the city. Then we will uh, take up the offering and sell our products, and all of that goes into paying for it to make it available for people free. Because again and again, it just give me Jesus as we tell them around the world. Uh, I sit up on the after we finish on Saturday. I sit up on the concourse and just speak to anybody who wants to talk to me. And. Always have people come through and say, "Anne, if you hadn't offered this free, I wouldn't have come. I, I would have been too embarrassed to ask somebody for the money. I wouldn't have come mm. on scholarship. But because it's free, then I'm here and my life is changed." Good
0: for you. Good for you. And does it not bug you that you were basically raised in a single parent home?
1: Uh, you know, I didn't know it was. <laughs> I didn't know anything else. So for me, it wasn't uh, unusual. Mm. So I think if I, you know, if if my father had started traveling when I was a teenager. And all of a sudden, I'd been used to two parents, and then all of a sudden, my my father was gone. I think maybe I would have been resentful. But I was born into a home. I was born just right before my father had that uh, meeting in 1950, when um, the famous story of Randolph Hearst, when he said Puff Graham, and in the Los Angeles Crusade, Daddy's ministry took off to international prominence. And and I was just 18 months old at that time. So so my memories, as far back as I've got them, my father was a worldwide figure. So it wasn't. You know, I didn't have to make a transition. I didn't have to adjust to anything. I was just raised in that. No,
0: but, Anne, as you see your own husband now doing the father thing in a, in a totally different way, because he's probably That's around right. a lot more, right. did you ever have to... Did, did something rise up inside of you? Have you ever had to process any aspect of forgiveness for that?
1: Not forgiveness. No, not, not forgiveness, because I've gave my father up willingly um, but you're exactly right when I saw my father uh, when I saw my husband and the father he was to my children it suddenly hit me what I'd missed Right, right. <laughs> and yet um, there's a wonderful promise in Psalm 2710 and I just shared this if somebody's listening and you're a single parent or maybe you're an orphan but there's a verse in Psalm 2710 that says when your mother and father forsake you then the Lord will take you up mm. and my father didn't forsake me but but you're right he was gone most of the time and Um, And so I feel like the Lord gave me that promise that he would take me up and be my father. And I have a relationship with God today that I'm not sure I would have had had I had a father full-time. And I wouldn't take anything for my relationship with God. I'll tell you, it's the joy, the treasure of my life.
0: When you say it, I believe it. There's a lot of other TV TV Jesus people and Radio Jesus Mm -hmm. people that I... I don't know, I kind of cock my head to one side and go, eh, but but you got you got some um I don't know, you got like I said at the beginning, you got the something factor. I don't know what it is, but you got it.
1: Well, you know it's uh what number 1 is the truth. I'm telling you the truth yeah. and um and Jesus is my life yeah. and uh he You know, I'm on a journey like everybody else, and it started when I came to the cross as a little girl, like we described, and then I've been on a journey ever since, and my journey is to get to know him better. So my journey is not to serve him. I don't want to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to publish books or, you know, all that's the part of the process, but my goal Every day is to know him better today than I did yesterday and to please him and to live my life to bring him honor and glory, and that's my life's goal. And so when when hard things come, pressures, disappointments, unanswered prayers, family problems, or wonderful opportunities such as I'm going to have in Toronto, those are all part of a process in each situation that I get to know him better. And just, I discover his faithfulness or his strength or his power, sometimes uh, you know his discipline and his firmness with me. He doesn't let me get by with anything. He's a, a very um, good father, <laughs> and uh, and so it's my my goal is to know him, not to impress somebody or not to be somebody. You know I, I'm not I'm not concerned at all with my image. Way long time ago, I was 17 years old, and I made the decision that I would live my life to please God, and it just set me free because I had been trying so hard to, you know, impress other people or make sure that I was acting a certain way so that everybody would be pleased with my father and say, oh, and, and you know, a good daughter, whatever. And I just, it, w- it was so, um, I felt so bound by that. And so finally I just decided, you know, I don't care what other people think or say about me. I'm just going to live my life to please God. And I knew if I did, then my parents would be pleased, my grandparents. And and so it, uh, it, that was a process to have to um, sort of uh, adopt that goal because I'm a very self-conscious, shy person. But increasingly, it's set me free, and so I can stand in front of an audience, or I can talk to you, or, you know, in a television camera, and I'm not concerned with being popular, or pleasing the host, or impressing the audience. I just want to live my life, and, and not only what I do, but what I say, to, to please Him, to bring honor and glory to Him, and then, in the experience, discover Him in a new, fresh way.
0: We're speaking with Ann Graham-Lotz here on the Drew Marshall Show. Ann, your siblings, the oldest...
1: The oldest is a uh, 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 sister. We call her Gigi.
0: Gigi is the oldest. And then is it Ruth?
1: And then, uh, yes, we call her Bunny.
0: Yeah. You know what? Because I, I interviewed Ruth or Bunny, uh, oh, shoot, I, a month or so ago. Okay. And uh, what a what a journey she has had as well.
1: She's had a, a hard life. And um, so made very different choices than I have. But the same God that I love and worship has been faithful to her.
0: Right. And then?
1: Franklin comes next. Okay. And then five years after Franklin, Ned came along. That's
0: right. Boy, it's hard. This is like keeping track of the Brady Bunch here, man.
1: You know, it's hard to keep track of each other.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, 9-11, do you think that you and Franklin were on the same page as far as your response? Like, I I think your response was, this is a wake-up call, and his response was, this is a punishment. Um, You know, just because you're the children of Dr. Graham and, and, uh, and Ruth doesn't mean you're on the same page all the time.
1: Well, I think um, Franklin and I can see things from a different perspective, but uh, I pretty much agree with my brother on, um, you know, I, I'm proud of him, I respect him, and, um, and I, you know, if I were to disagree with him, I would do it behind closed doors. And so I'm, I don't remember that statement that he made. I just do remember what I said in that I felt that, uh, you know, at least in our country, for uh, quite a while now, I feel like, generally speaking, as a nation, we're shaking our fist in God's face. You know, we tell him to get out of our schools, so you can't mention his name, much less the name Jesus in school. Get out of our marketplace, get out of our businesses. We've even tried to take him out of the Pledge of Allegiance to our flag and our country. And and there's a tremendous um, battle going on and in, in sort of a culture war, if you want to call it, but where we're shaking our fist in God's face and saying, get out. And then, I I believe, according to Romans chapter 1, when we do that, then God very um, gently and very slowly begins to back out of our life, and and even out of our national life. And, uh, And I think he does so with tears coming down his cheeks, because he knows when he backs away from us that his protection is going to be removed, and we're going to be subjected to things he's been protecting us from. And so for me, my explanation of 9/11 is that we've been shaking our fist in his face, telling him to get out. He's been backing out of our lives, and all of a sudden we experience something that, for all of these years, he's been protecting us from. Why, you know, in, in 93, why didn't the trade towers come down when they bombed it? Why hasn't something worse happened before? And and I believe we've had the protection of God, but I believe we're slowly losing that because of our defiance of him and. I believe, as a nation, in the United States of America, we need to repent of our sin and tell them we're sorry for telling them to get out, invite them to come back into our national life, acknowledge God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of Jesus Christ, and pledge our allegiance to Him. And I believe He would begin helping expose these threats. He would protect us. He would help us with the weather patterns and the environment. You know, there's so much going on in our country, I believe, that's happening because... God's just backing away, and it's a very frightening thing to me. The judgment of God, and I don't know how Franklin responded, but the judgment of God is not fire and brimstone, or the ground opening up and swallowing you, or some of these other things. It's just God backing out, yeah. you know, and just leaving us alone. That's terrifying to me.
0: Being being the older sister of this young, you know, rebel named <laughs> named Franklin. Uh, like I have an older sister, sure. and uh, and I was I was for for lack of a better explanation, I was a bit of the black sheep of the family. And I remember my sister's you know sort of attitude was, oh my goodness, like come on right. again, you know what are you doing? Give your head a shake, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. While Franklin was being a goofball, right. how did how did you handle all that?
1: Well, <laughs> you know we prayed for him. I've always loved my brother, so even when he was a baby and you know little, I've always loved him. We've always had a good relationship. But he was a handful. Yeah, I've
0: I've seen you in interviews. I've seen that roll-in-your-eyes thing happen. We all know that Franklin, you know.
1: Well, he was very strong-willed, very defiant. I I would not have wanted to be his mother. I'd much rather have been his (laughs) sister. And uh, and then I saw, you know, about the age of 22, he um, married Jane Austen Cunningham, and they were married on the front lawn of our house in Montreat. And I can remember when, after they said their... Uh, vows to each other. He took her hand and he turned and faced the families and the the friends that were gathered there. And he said that they had recommitted their lives to Christ and he had surrendered his life to Jesus. And and at that time I thought, you know, Franklin is so honest. He never um I never saw him smoke, so he did hide that from us and I never saw him drink, he hid that from us. But pretty much what you saw is what you got. You right. know, we all knew he was bad. He was bad in our face, you know, <laughs> and which I appreciated because he's honest. Yeah. And and so when he said that I knew that that was um he wasn't saying it to please anybody, I knew that he meant it, and I've seen him from that moment on really seek to live his life um to serve god and and Jane Austen is fabulous she's been such a wonderful life's partner, and together they've raised um three great boys who are now married and have children of their own, and then the youngest daughter is not quite uh she's not finished college yet, so you know things aren't. The end of the story isn't told for her No, that's right, um, that's right. But they're still, it's a wonderful family. And I've I've seen the grace of God in his life. And I can tell you, Drew, if God can turn my brother, Franklin Graham, around and take him from a rebel to somebody who's preaching the gospel, leading Samaritan's Purse, making an impact all over the world, God can do it for anybody.
0: I had a friend of mine visit the, the church where I was pastoring in Australia. And he came up on the stage and told the congregation that this guy here is the biggest liar and con artist I've ever met in my life. And if God can change him, you know, that whole same kind of a spiel. So yeah,
1: I get right. that. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: and what kind of rejection have you had in your life, both professionally and, and personally? Because I know you've spoken a little bit about the maybe an inferiority complex or something like but Rejection. Uh,
1: well, the rejection that I've had, um, I've had it in different ways. Uh, one, because I I believe God's Word is the truth. I believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word of God. That got me in trouble with my uh, the church. where We'd been members for 15 years, and I had a Bible class. The Bible class I started for nine years met there with um, 500 women in it, and they just decided they could no longer tolerate the stand I took on God's Word, and they, in essence, threw out my class. And then my husband and I as well that was a that was a very painful rejection because it's your church family and somebody has said that the most traumatic thing that can happen to you one is um if your home burns to the ground and another is suicide but another one is being um right up there with those two is uh being thrown out of a church yeah. or um and so that was a rejection that was be- really because of our our faith in in god's word and the way it was presented the way we taught it and okay. so but instead of turning me against the church or becoming embittered, it just broke my heart for the church. Because the church, you know, at least I live in the southeastern part of the United States, and it's part of our culture to go to church. And so so many people sitting in church, I believe, do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They have never been born again. Their faith is traditional, ritualistic, cultural, but it's not authentic. And and so God just used that to break my heart and send me right back into the church. Not that church, but... um, you know my ministry is aimed pretty much at or women or men people who are within the organized church um who just needs you know a fresh touch from heaven and, Good. and need a, so that God used that then the other rejection I guess I faced is because I'm a woman in ministry and uh, and my in the arena we target women, but uh so much of what I do outside of the arena is um really men leadership things um pastors conventions or um you know, I'm doing a prayer breakfast this coming Tuesday, uh, which will have 1,500 basically businessmen and and different things like that. And um, and there's some people who have trouble with a woman uh, speaking or, or preaching when there are men in the audience. Yeah. And so uh, I remember one very dramatic time when I just began travel speaking, and um, I was speaking to about 800 pastors at a convention. I've been invited. You know, everywhere I go, I'm invited, so you'd think they would want to hear me. And... <laughs> So I got up in the the lectern and began delivering the message, and I'm sure it was just a handful, but to me it looked like most of them just um, turned, you know, stood up, turned their chairs around, put their backs.
0: Oh, me. give me a break! And, uh, like a know, bunch of two-year-olds.
1: And, and like two-year-olds, but they were sending a message, you know. And basically, Anne, you shouldn't be in the the pulpit, and when you're there, we're not going to listen. Are and, you uh, kidding me? So, but I but I feel like God used it because I, I crawled home in my spirit. I finished my message called home in my spirit. And I said, all right, God, these are godly men, and so I need to know what you say about women in ministry, because I don't want to be serving you and contradicting you at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And so he led me through the Scripture and just... Uh, confirmed very clearly that I was exactly where he wanted me to be. And one of the scriptures was in John 20 when he confronted Mary Magdalene, the women at the empty tomb, if you remember, and he told them to go tell um, my disciples. <laughs> and he was telling, in particular, Mary Magdalene, to go back to Jerusalem, tell 11 men what she had seen and heard, and, and then she was to give them his word to meet him in Galilee. And so she was commissioned, you know, to go and tell 11 men. Uh, not only to preach the word, so to speak, but to share her own testimony and uh, And then you know, I asked him in Timothy, Paul says, "I permit not a woman to preach or teach um, with authority over a man, and I thought God was saying i didn't have the i couldn 't hold a position of authority over a man within the church, so for me, I feel i can 't hold the position of a senior pastor or whatever sure, but sure. but i don 't want to i 'm not called to do that. it makes no difference in my ministry, yeah no.
0: exactly yeah. I feel
1: very confirmed that if um God puts me in a pulpit it doesn 't matter who 's in front of me, it can be Men, women, children, um, you know, it can be Africans or Asians or Russians or Americans or Canadians, you know, the, the audience is God's responsibility. My responsibility is to faithfully give out the message He puts on the heart and to do it with, um, you know, as, as much um, spiritual power, which comes from prayer, just, you know, working it through in our own life and prayerfully delivering it, and then just uh, let Him make the impact on the audience.
0: We're speaking with Ann Graham Lotz here on the show today, folks. Ann, what's been the biggest hurt you've had to process? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's been miscarriages, there's been depression, you've had a son diagnosed with cancer, you've had a, you've had a few kick in the guts yourself.
1: You know, all of those things have been hurts. I don't know. You know, at the time, whatever you're going through is the most hurtful, right? Uh, right. Because it's at present my son um also after his cancer after seven years of marriage went through a divorce and i think um that's about as painful as it gets and and then and i believe my son made the right decision but it doesn't make it any less painful yes exactly and it's why god hates divorce i I, oh i understand that in a fresh way i hate it you know and it just should never be but uh, we're living in an imperfect sinful world and uh and that's the way it is for my son and um and then right now, my husband actually—he's about twelve years older than I am—and he's going to be coming with me to Toronto. I'm so thrilled, and he's going to speak Saturday night at People's Church for Charles
0: Price. Oh, and, listen, that—that um, is—I that is, went to school at the People's Church school.
1: Oh, well, I'm just thrilled, and I'm thrilled for my husband. But he's going through some health di- health difficulties now that um, uh, I think this may be the hardest thing I've faced so far. Just watching my handsome, athletic, um, you know, fabulous husband just uh, get. To, physically um, weaker and having problems he has diabetes he has renal Uh, failure he uh, has the diabetic retinopathy with his eyes he has uh, some other things and yet you know his character is coming out strong and god is um giving him a little bit of a reprieve right now but just watching him unable to do some things that he's done in the past or to see him uh, tire easily or not have the stamina that he used to uh, that uh, i think i'm headed into perhaps the hardest thing i faced wow but, but I can tell you what I've learned, Drew, yeah. <laughs> after a lifetime of hard things, uh, that God is faithful. And God gives you what you need at the moment. You don't get it so much in advance, but at that moment, God gives it to you. And uh, and the I try every day to start my day with prayer and Bible reading and let God speak to me through His Word. And there are times when I'm just desperate and dry, and He comes through with a precious verse or just an insight into a passage of Scripture, and I, I feel lifted and you know he's loved me through other people. I have wonderful friends now all the way around the world that um, pray for me and drop me a note from time to time, and God just gets you through one moment at a time. sometimes I can't even take it a day at a time you
0: know but like, and have you ever felt abandoned by God? i mean like as far as I know, everybody goes through that what do we call it the, the phrase is the wilderness or the yeah, desert or whatever you want right. you must have gone through something like that.
1: You know, uh, I do, periodically, and I don't think it's just one time in your life, but uh, in fact, in the last couple of years, just through the hard things, I think I have I have very much felt abandoned by God, and I think what God has been doing when he's allowed me to feel that way is to answer my prayer, and actually my prayer the last couple of years is that I've wanted to grow into a woman of real faith, faith that can move mountains, mm-hmm. faith that makes a difference in the lives of other people, faith that gets answers to prayer, that... Um, you know, can can see the unseen in a sense, and and I think that he stripped me of feelings because when you're stripped of feelings and you feel abandoned, then you just go back to Hebrews 13 and it says, "And I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you," and so I I walk by faith, not by my feelings, and so I think I'm much a much stronger person because of what he's allowed me to go through and right now i'm not in a wilderness time for which i praise him (laughs) sure i'm so grateful but but i have been and and at those times when i'm in a wilderness and i feel dry and abandoned then i just cling to him by faith in fact i when one of those hard times i wrote a book called why and it's just trusting god when you don't understand because he's let me go through things such as my son's cancer his divorce my husband's problems um, you know, other difficulties that i 've had in my life, and and you can say why not in an, not in an offended sense, and not like you know God, why did you let this happen, but God, what is there that you 're trying to do in my life and, and if you have a lesson to teach me, boy, I want to learn it now i don 't want you to repeat this lesson in my life, and I feel like that just working through that in that little book, God taught me so much, and bottom line, the answer to why is that you just have to trust him when you don 't understand, and I think he 's grown me up in my trust.
0: When you came out with this book called uh, I Saw the Lord, did everybody and their mother ask you if you've ever had a direct spiritual encounter, supernatural <laughs> encounter with God?
1: I've had that in a lot of uh, discussions, yes, <laughs> and, uh, and it's not that, you know, I took that from Isaiah 6, and in Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, so that phrase is taken from the scripture, and and from my own life. It's when Uzziah dies. It's when you go through those hard things. Um, I'll, I'll tell you just real quickly a little story. My mother one year sent me a, a birthday present, and it was a wrapped in brown paper. It was a little multicolored basket stuffed with tissue paper. And I thought my mother had lost her mind, because the postage cost more <laughs> than the basket. But I picked up the phone and thanked her, and, and she said, hey, and your real present was inside the tissue paper. And I said, mother, I've thrown that away. And she said, well, go get it. So I went up to the garbage can, went through the tissue paper, found a little tiny gold ring with lapis lazuli, and it. it came from the British Museum. Oh. It was part of the pavement of the floor that of the palace where Queen Esther was said to live. Oh. and. I had thrown away a priceless treasure because I didn't like the way it was wrapped. And I think God lets us have ugly brown packages that show up in our lives, and it can be a son's divorce, it can be, you know, it can be your own divorce, it can be uh, ill health or or something, an ugly brown package, and we don't like it and we don't want it and we toss it out, but on the inside was the treasure. And I think that's what Isaiah was saying. In the year that King Uzziah died, the ugly brown package showed up in my life, but, but the treasure was that I saw the Lord in a fresh way. And it's not a... It is not a physical vision. It's not a, you know, it's not like seeing a movie. That's not what I mean. It's a dramatic, fresh encounter with the God of the universe that comes as a direct result of the ugly brown package. And so that's what I think um, I was trying to convey in that book because I feel like so many people are tossing out the package and they're missing the blessing. And, it's a, and the part of the treasure is a wake-up call. God wants to wake us up to himself in a fresh way and uh and yet we don't um we miss it because we're so caught up in the packaging
0: <laughs> yeah but so we you, just
1: need to open our eyes.
0: I love your stories. I am such a story guy. And you know that story that you share about, you know, uh, people love your uh, your parents and, and you know, they, they want to go and visit them, but there's the gate there. And that's unless right. unless you're you know, that your your dad would say something like, Well, have we arranged yes, uh, the, you know, right. for you to come in? Uh you know, I that's I just, when, uh, I just actually, slaughtered that story. My I went, apologies. I
1: <laughs> I remember the first time I was on Larry King, I told him that story when he asked me, you know, Ann, is Jesus the only way? And I said, Well, Larry, let me tell you you know, if if, um, people, just see people have watched my daddy or read his books and they want to go to visit Billy Graham in his home, and, and they can't because there's a gate and a fence around the property. And so they would knock on the gate and he would say, but you haven't made arrangements and, you know, I'm sorry you can't come. And you say, well, that's not fair, but that's the way it is because, It's his home, you know, and he doesn't let everybody come in. You couldn't possibly do that. And so, but if I go to that gate and I knock on the gate and I say, Daddy, I've come home, he throws open the gate and I can go in because I'm the Father's child. And so heaven is the same. Heaven is our Heavenly Father's home and He can decide who comes in and who stays out. And so you don't want to wait till the... So you step into eternity and knock on that gate and say, God, let me in, because he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. You, yeah. you didn't make arrangements. But if you put your faith in Jesus and you claim him at the cross as your own Savior and your Lord, when you get to that heavenly gate and knock on the door, the heavenly Father throws it wide open, and you're welcomed in heaven because you're the Father's child.
0: Well said. Very well said. I want to ask you a couple of real kind of typical interview questions. If you could give me sort of like like concise one-word answers, uh, then we'll finish off with this. Okay, you ready?
1: I've never been known to give one word I know. I was thinking about that. I thought, how the heck are we going to do this? Because, we're,
0: unfortunately, we're at the top of the hour. We're exactly. almost done with the, with the show here. And, by the way, when we're done with the interview, can you just hold on a second, sure. and I'll say a, a proper goodbye to you yes, at the thanks. end. What authors uh, do, you, do, you, do you like to read?
1: I love Bible authors. Outside the Bible, I love novels. I've read all of Davis Bunn's books, um, Grish- John Grisham's books, Louis L'Amour's westerns. Right now, I'm reading Joel Rosenberg. Um, Okay, all I mean, right. I love novels.
0: Which biblical character do you consider a hero for yourself?
1: Uh, other than Jesus, um, it's hard to name one. I would say Ezekiel, um, the Apostle Paul, Jeremiah, okay. Abraham, maybe Abraham.
0: Thanks for narrowing it down.
1: <laughs> on a journey of faith. I can't give one word. I know, I know. I'm <laughs> Uh
0: If you could meet one person before you die.
1: Oh, that's, a, that's a very hard one. I can't think of. I probably wouldn't be able to answer that. Well, maybe I would we'll... just like to spend time with my parents. Actually, you know, I would love to meet the people in my audience, which is why I sit up on the concourse, because yeah. I, uh, from a platform I can't see their faces, really. You know, right, So I'd right. love to meet the people in the audience.
0: All right. Final Final little question for you here. If you had the opportunity to say, other than I love you, something to your mom or your dad just before they passed, What would you want to communicate to them?
1: Thank you. Thank you for just giving me Jesus. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for the example you set of reality within the home. Thank you for being authentic.
0: Nice. Very nicely done. Thank you for your time, for your genuineness, for your warmth. You are a classy, classy lady.
1: Oh, Drew, God bless you, and I look forward to meeting you.
0: Uh, Folks, that was... And Graham Lotz on the show. Tremendous woman, and she will be at the Air Canada Centre Friday, September 29th from 7 to 9 p.m. Doors open at 5.30, and Saturday, September 30th from 8.30 to 5 p.m. Doors open at 7 a.m. It's free of charge, folks, free of charge. It's targeted to women, but men are welcome. The uh, You won't have any lines at the bathroom, men, so that'll be good. And uh, it'll be an amazing weekend next weekend. Folks, that has been the Drew Marshall Show. One more week. Next week on the show, Johnny Erickson and Guy Penrod from the Gaither Gang. And then the following week, we're going to have Larry Norman and Randy Stonehill. I'm actually in Nicaragua that Saturday, so these are pre-recorded interviews. I hope you enjoy them. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for letting me into your homes. I do appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. Enjoy your week, folks. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at DrewMarshall.ca.